I'd like for you to open God's Word this morning to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, our text for today. I've titled this message, I usually don't give you the title to it, but I'll, I'll give you my title for the message today, and that is the glory and life-changing power of the Gospel. Today we're going to look at each... Uh, Phrase in this verse in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. I'll read it for us. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the glories of the cross and what Christ has accomplished for us. And then, by whom the world has been crucified to me. We learn then as Christians how we are to view the world that we live in today. And then, Paul says lastly, and I, I am crucified to the world. Then we'll see how, how our relationship is and how we view our own selves as we live in the world. But first of all, in this text, we see the words that jump out at us, but God forbid. Now, oftentimes we hear that those few words in a flippant or nonchalant manner. Oh, God forbid that I should meet such and such at the mall. Or God forbid that I should go out when it's this cold. And we, we use it in a very flippant manner. But be assured when we see these words written in Holy Scripture, but God forbid, the Lord through the Apostle Paul is speaking very literally, very directly. Not used in any sarcastic term whatsoever, but He's saying to us that there is in fact something that God does truly forbid. And that is that we should boast or I think the, the authorized version says, says glory, that we are not to boast, we are not to glory, we are not to take joy in, we are not to rejoice in, we are not to ascribe worth according to, we are not make, to make much of anything in relation to ourselves before God. We have no reason as sinful human beings or redeemed sinners, to say to God that we have something to boast about. Because that is the glorification of man rather than God. That's why the, the Apostle, when he wrote this epistle, he said that he would wish himself to accursed if anyone else preached any other gospel than that which you have received from me. And again, he's writing this, this little epistle to show forth this very problem but there were, because there were some there in Galatia that were boasting about who they were. Look in verse 15. In verse 15, Paul says, specifically to the Jew, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision, that's if you're a Jew, nor uncircumcision, a Gentile, avails anything. You see? 
Because there were certain Judaizers there that were teaching that it's, yes, it's very fit and proper for you to come to Christ by faith. But they were teaching, it's also very important that you not give up your Jewish heritage, that you continue to be circumcised, and that you continue in all of the law of Moses. Yes, embrace the gospel, but also make sure that you add all of these other things. But Paul says here that whether you're Jewish, whether you're Gentile, whether you've been circumcised or you're uncircumcised, it avails absolutely nothing. We could say the same, does it matter if I've been baptized? Does it matter if I join the church? Do these things enable me to merit myself before God? Absolutely not. We have nothing wherewith to boast. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 26, you don't have to take the time to turn there, but God says to the children of Israel that my judgment is going to fall upon you because of your idolatries in the same manner that it is going to fall upon many other nations that are listed there. And He says that, that... He will judge His people and He will judge all of the house of Israel because they are the ones that are, get this, they are uncircumcised in heart. Yes, they had been physically circumcised, but their hearts were far from God and they were not right with God. So Paul is writing to the Galatians here saying to them, it doesn't matter who you are. You need the grace of Christ and you need the grace of Christ alone. Look in verse 13. Not only does it matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done. Look in verse 13. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. You say you're a good Jew. You say you're a child of Abraham. Well then, understand, you've not kept the law. But yet, these Judaizers, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast... In your flesh, you see, they wanted to boast about the fact that they were still in charge. They were still the leaders. And they wanted the Galatians to be circumcised and to continue in the works of the law. But the Scripture says that he who is guilty in one point of the law is guilty of all of the law. If you offend God in one matter, you're guilty of it all. He says there, even the circumcision, even the Jew has not kept the law. Paul has said essentially the same thing when he wrote to the church at Rome. Turn with me to the book of Romans, please. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 10, well, let's look at verse 9. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. He's just said the same thing to us in our Galatian text. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside and have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not even one. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, 
that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. No flesh can boast before God because we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, he says in verse 23. For, again, back to verse 20, for by the, through the law is the knowledge of sin. So Paul concludes in verse 27 there, where is their boasting then? It is, it is excluded. Of what? Law? <laughs> of works? Absolutely not. No, but by the law of faith that the believer is justified solely and completely by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn back to Galatians now. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do in all things that's what which were written in the book of the law to do them. So again we say, through the law we understand that we are sinners before before God. Through the law we we realize that we, we transgress, that we sin in thought or word or, or deed daily or in our actions. So we have nothing to boast about. We are all under sin, whether we be Jew or whether we be Gentile. Boasting is excluded. If anyone had reason to boast, it would be the author of this epistle of Galatians, also Philippians, where he says this very thing. He said, if anyone have, would have regard to boast about the flesh, he said, I would. Because I, being the Apostle Paul, was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, indeed a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, he reached the pinnacle of the study of the law, being a Pharisee. And because he was so zealous for the law, he even persecuted the church. And he says, in accordance with the law, I was blameless. He was as good as it could get as far as those who were advancing in the law of Judaism. And you know what he said? This is so wonderful. I'm so much better than everybody else. Isn't this great? He said, no. He says, I consider this all a loss. It amounts to nothing but rubbish in order that I may know Christ, that I might win Christ, that I may embrace Christ and be counted not in my own righteousness, but be regarded by the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul in this text, Romans and Galatians, is absolutely vehement against anyone that would boast about themselves before God. Anybody that does that, at best, they're ignorant. More so, it's, they're wrong, they're foolish to ascribe any human merit or attribute in hopes to be justified before God. Martin Luther said to do such is to add poison to your very soul. Yes, Paul says, God forbid that I should boast except in the glory of the cross. Now, Paul did say something that he did boast about. 
Paul said that he boasted in tribulations. Why is that? Because when he was going through that fiery trial, he learned more and more to lean upon God. And he said, through that tribulation, my character is established. And that causes me to hope all the more. Not in myself, but in Christ who raises the dead. Paul did also glory in his infirmities. Because he said, when I am weak, Lizzie, you got this? When I am weak, then am I made strong. What's your uh, email address? Weakness is strength? That's what Paul said. In my weakness, then am I made strong. I thought of Peter and the apostles when they were beaten there early in the book of Acts for preaching the Gospel. What did they glory in? What did they boast about? Did they boast about, oh, you know, we are really quite eloquent preachers, aren't we? Look at this great following we had. No, they rejoiced. They boasted in the fact that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have nothing to boast about. And the Scripture says if we think we stand, we ought to take heed lest we fall. And if we go forth in any kind of a prideful, boastful manner, we ought to be careful because indeed the Scripture says pride comes before a fall. Again, our text, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is our boasting as believers in Christ? Well, there it is. We boast in the cross. Now, he's not talking there about a simple piece of wood or the means of an execution, which the cross was, but he's talking about the very work of Christ that he accomplished when He was on that cross. That and that alone is what we can boast about. We can boast about the fact that Christ vicariously, unconditionally gave Himself up for us. We deserve to die, but He gave Himself up for us as our substitution. He went before God. He was our advocate before the Father. And He laid down His life for us And His life was the only life that could have been laid down that could appease the the wrath of God and the justice of God. He was that perfect sacrifice. He was the one who had never sinned. Never sinned in His thoughts. Never sinned by a misspoken word. Never sinned in the deed. The holy, righteous, spotless, and pure Lamb of God gave His life for those who were in rebellion against Him, those that hated Him. He laid down His life as a perfect sacrifice. And although we were enemies and at enmity with God through the death of His Christ, through the death of Christ on the cross, He reconciled us to Himself. He took away that estrangement, that enmity when He died upon the cross in order that God would be reconciled to bring us into fellowship with Him. All these things Christ did for on the cro- upon the cross. He was that perfect sacrifice. It was only His perfect sacrifice that could justly appease the holy and pure justice of God. 
And He laid down His life for us. And through laying down His life for us, as it were, He went into that slave market of sin where we were all enslaved. And by providing to the Father that perfect sacrifice, He paid for us. He he bought us with His very life. He gave His life in order that we might be purchased and we might be the praise of a, of a glorious redemption before the Lord. And because of all these glorious truths, we can stand before Him in the very righteousness of Christ, forgiven with the great hope that we're on our way to heaven. And that's what Paul said. God forbid that we would even consider boasting anything else besides the glorious work of Christ upon the cross. And through knowing Christ in our daily life and experiencing Him, it gives us a whole new outlook upon life, does it not? We see the world through a different lens now. The things that I once loved, the things of the flesh, those things of the world, those carnal things, now those are the things I despise. And the things that I once took no interest in at all, the things of God, now because He's enlightened me, He's changed my heart, these are now the things that I love. Why? Because not only has He made provision for us and has become our righteousness, but He's taken out this rebellious stone, heart of stone, and He's given to us a heart soft and pliable in order that we can know Him and love Him. And because this has happened, Paul says here in our text, but God forbid that I should boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom now the world has been crucified to me. Because of our relationship with Christ, by whom, the pronoun referring to Christ, because of what He's done for me, I see the world now as it truly is. And that world is a world that has been crucified to me. Now we sung this morning, How Great Thou Art. And we sang about the beautiful beautiful, uh, creation. And we praise God because of the the birds singing and the mountains and the glorious seas and all the beauty. That's not the kind of world that we're talking about, is it? No, not at all. We're talking about, we're to love that world, but we're talking about a world that Paul is referring to that is a fallen world, that is a sinful world. A world where Satan is in dominion over this earth. We sang about that. This morning, when we sang Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And uh, the uh, first uh, verse, third stanza, in reference to Satan, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. And on earth is not his equal. 
He's the prince and the power of the air, and we are in battle against Him. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, in verse 19, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Also, let's turn with me a few pages over to 1 John, a few epistles over. First John chapter 2 and verse 15. The Apostle says, Apostle John, do not love the world. That's the world we're talking about. The fallen world. The, the world that's under the, the dominion of the evil one. Do not love this world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So there's the broken world that we live in. This is the world that we are to shun. And we, but when we become Christians, we begin to understand that really this is indeed all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. And therefore we become to the point where we're not Enamored or enticed or allured by this world as we once are. Certainly we're not consumed by the things of this world because through Christ and what He's done for us and the wisdom He's given to us, we see the vanity and the meaninglessness of life as did Solomon. We see and understand that materialism is not the way to happiness. Neither is power, neither is wealth. None of these things will bring us happiness. I thought about Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress when he went to Vanity Fair. I know I've referenced this before, but felt uh, compelled to to go here again and uh, think about what Christian and the faithful were experiencing when they went to Vanity Fair. That place that was under the control of Beelzebub. Christian says that as they entered this place, they realized that there was just about anything you wanted there at Vanity Fair. There were many things that could be bought. Fine houses, land and stocks and bonds, beautiful clothing, jewelry, expensive cosmetics, gold and silver, antiques and pearls and precious stones. And there were many things there that could be sought after that people yearned for, such as fame and and fortune and reputation and honor and popularity and positions and phony titles and counterfeit degrees. There were many things to entertain you there in the city of Vanity Fair. There were contests and chances and you could play games and you could be involved in different elections, and you could seek personal influence there. You could also be caught up in propaganda and in falsehoods. And also, this drew my attention, 
Fictitious news. Things haven't changed too much, have they? Fake news. You know, Vanity Fair back in those days is about the same as it is today. The things that we can involve ourselves in. And if all these things don't catch your attention, you can seek more and more merriment. There were times that were set aside for gambling and juggling and cheating and defrauding and embezzling and lying and stealing and swindling and carnivals and festivities and drinking parties and revelries. And there were thugs there and lewd women. There were murderers and adulteries and all kinds of immoralities there in this city of Vanity Fair. And that's where we live, isn't it? Yes. This is not our home. We're passing through. And oftentimes people are going to look at us and they're going to select to us, well, these Christians are a little bit strange, aren't they? And that's what they did with Christian and faithful. They looked at Christian and faithful and they noticed that their dress was not different. They were not dressed uh, in provocative ways as all the other people of Vanity Fair. Their speech was, was not corruptible and they thought they were very strange that they didn't speak the way the rest of the citizens of Vanity Fair spoke. And to top it off, they had all these, these beautiful trinkets and, and things that you can buy that people from all over the world look to. And Christian and Pilgrim didn't seem to be interested at all in any of those things. And the people shouted at Christian and uh, Faithful and they said, why don't you buy something? And they said, we buy the truth. We are more interested in the truth of God. You see, we can be so carried away by the things of this world, but now thank God that in Christ we're wise to the ways of this world. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to first Peter. First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four and verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, He set the example. Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Christ came to this world. He gave Himself up voluntarily, vicariously. The perfect sacrifice laid down our lives for us and died for our sins. In the same manner, we, following in His footsteps, are to cease from the works of the flesh and die to sin. To cease from sin. Verse 2, that He, Jesus being the perfect example, that He no longer should live the rest of His time in the, in the, in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. We no longer are consumed by the ways of this world, the will of the old man, fulfilling the desires of our flesh, but rather, what? For the will of God. For we have spent enough of our pastime doing the will of the Gentiles. How much time was that? Well, maybe you came to Christ late in life when you were 30, 40, 50, 60. That's enough time. Maybe you came to Christ when you were 12. Well, you, you've spent enough time as well in the things of the flesh. Because no matter when we came, 
In our former life, look at the latter phrase of verse 3, we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange, as they did Christian and faithful. People will think us strange that we do not run with them, with the rest of the crowd, in the same flood of dissipation, and they shall speak evil of you. You catch that phrase there. It is, as it were, the the world rushing as hard as they can go. You know, I thought about the, the... just thought about it now, the, the running of the bulls uh, over in Spain, right? These people just go mad and run through the streets. That's the kind of thing that we have going on here. People are running in a, in a mad melee towards a life full of sin. And they look back at those that are not running and they say, well, why aren't you going with us, you know? And yet they are being swamped in this flood of dissipation, that their minds are so set on evil, they can't control their desires. You know, I thought about that word flood, and I thought about the flood, the great flood that's spoken of in Genesis when God sent judgment upon the whole world. In a very like manner, the scripture says there in Genesis that the hearts and minds of the people were always and only continually upon evil. And God sent judgment by the way of the flood. Well, these people are so flooded by the desires of the flesh and the evil that's within them, they are consumed. Not realizing that the judgment of God is to soon fall upon them. And people think we are strange. Because we're not running in the same mad race. And my friends, listen, we have nothing to boast about. The reason why we are not running in this mad race is because God and His mercy has enlightened us. That we have been recipients of this precious redemption of Christ. That we have received a righteousness that does not belong to us. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. We have nothing to boast about. But thank God that He's delivered us from that way of iniquity. And yet our, our hearts are, and minds are tested every day, aren't they? You know, we, we ask ourselves, is the world has the have I has the world really become a place that is dead to me? That I no longer desire the things of this world. And we're tested day in and day out. Say for example someone really likes you. And they give you, oh, let's say about $10 million. How much would your life change? You know, Would you say, wow, this is great. Think of all the things that I can do. I can go to Paris and to France. And I can go uh, to all the glorious places in the world. I can see everything. And I can eat the absolute finest of foods. I can seek the greatest pleasures. Is that where our hearts would lead us? You know, Solomon already tried all that. 
And he said it was all vain. It was nothing more than a chasing after the wind. Or would we with that $10 million say, well, at least I can fix the old junker up, maybe replace it, you know, eat a few more good vegetables. But by and large, my life is not going to change that much. I'll be able to take this money and use it for the glory of God. I'll be able to use it for the kingdom of God, you see. So where's our heart? Where is our heart in relation to this world? Jesus said, for what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his very soul? So we become, uh, we have an understanding of this world, that this world is not going to give us what our heart truly yearns for. And we become wise also to the ways of this world. We, we see through its hollow philosophies. We see through the shallow belief systems. We, th- we see through uh, the ridiculous mindset that we see portrayed for us before us today. Like there's really no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as moral absolutes. Try that in the workforce. Try that at home. Try that anywhere. It doesn't work. It's ridiculous, you know. Uh, the sexual freedom, we, we know it, it leads to heartache. Abortion. <laughs> With the ultrasound. It, it, you know, what is, it's, it's the death of an innocent child, you know. It's, it's a horrendous. It, we, we see these things. We, we, we see the harm and the hurt that same-sex marriage brings upon the society. We see the harm that of of a government that wants to hand out to those that are not truly in need and the chaos that can arise from that. The entitlements. We could go on and on and on about the way society is going and and we understand that these these things are wrong and they're going to bring forth uh, horrendous results for our age. (laughs) And I thought thought about how the, the people in Vanity Fair were were making fun of Christian and, and faithful because of their convictions. And even in the news this past week, most of us have, have heard about uh, Vice President Pence, who has a very prudent and a high standard, simply to say, I'm not going to be caught along with any woman who is not my wife. A good standard. He didn't try to enforce that standard upon the whole United States. He simply said, this is what I believe. This is how I'm going to live out. And he has been getting all kinds of hate speech simply because of what he believes. He's been labeled a sexist. He's been labeled a chauvinist and a bigot that his views are excessive and extreme because of his convictions. They don't understand this. They don't understand this. But Paul said here, let's go back to our text and and look at it again here. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world, the world has been crucified to me. The world, as far as Paul was concerned, that world that was under the dominion of Satan, the world that was fallen, an evil place, It offers me nothing. It's a place that has been crucified to me. What was the cross? It was a way of execution. 
And when Paul looked upon the world, can you imagine in your mind's eye the whole world being placed upon the cross? A place of judgment. That's what how Paul viewed the world. This world is a place that is under damnation. It is under the wrath of God because of the sins that is in the world. And he said, this world that I see is crucified to me. It's a place of death. Something that I do not long for at all. At all. It's a place that is under the damnation of God. And it offers me absolutely nothing. The world has been crucified to me. And then he goes on to say, lastly, and I to the world. And I have been crucified to the world. You see, and again, let's go back to that personal pronoun. It is through Christ by whom I have this correct understanding of the world. And it is through Christ and my relationship to Him that I now am crucified to the things of this world. You see, when we, when we become to Christ, and only because we are in Christ, do we have a proper understanding of ourselves so that we can understand the world which we live in. We understand that this world has become a place of death to me. And now, there's nothing in the world that allures my heart, you see. It's Christ who allures my heart. Look in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When we are in Christ, from the very moment we come to Christ, that word there, crucified, is aorist active indicative. It means that this is something that happened in a point in time. That we, when we came to Christ, we became crucified with Christ. Just as Christ died for our sins, when we came to Christ, we died to our sins. And that, that uh, work of grace that began in our heart continues on throughout our life. It's something that happens in the past that has reference to the future as well. That's what He did. When we came to Christ, we became crucified. We became united with Christ. And our flesh then was crucified and it continues to be crucified day in and day out as we turn away from the things of this world. And again, where's our boasting? (laughs) Is it because we and all of our understanding and wisdom decided to do this? No, it's because Christ, because of His great mercy, wherein He loved us, made us alive in His Son. He gave us life. He regenerated us. He took us from the slave market of sin. He gave us life. He he caused us to be born again from above. And He changed us. And it's all because of what He's done that we can say, I'm crucified with Christ. I've died with Him. I am now... Related with Christ. I thought of the great 4th and 5th century bishop, pastor, theologian, Augustine, of whom it is said that although he lived a thousand years before the Protestant Reformation, that in many ways he was the true father of the Protestant Reformation because of his 
true beliefs about God and the fact that we're saved by grace alone. But before Augustine came to know Christ, he lived a very ungodly, profligate lifestyle. And he was torn between the influences of his very godly mother, Monica, who prayed for him continually, and a very wayward woman that he was having a ungodly relationship with, continually fulfilling the desires of his flesh. And we know that the Lord's grace came upon Augustine, and he and the the story is told that he actually heard a voice from heaven saying, "Pick up and read." And he picked up the word of God. And he picked it up and his eyes fell upon Romans chapter 3. Excuse me, Romans chapter 13. And he looked down at Romans chapter 13 and verse 13. And this is what he read. Let us walk properly... As in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and in lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And Augustine was convicted of his lifestyle, realizing that he was doing these very things, was broken in his heart, turned to Christ, believed the gospel, and was gloriously saved. Some time had elapsed now between the time that he had seen this woman, his lover. And one day he was walking down the street and he saw that this woman was walking towards him. There's no way that he could bypass her. But he attempted simply to ignore her and to walk on by Well, as he walked by her, she was infuriated and reached around and she reached out and grabbed Augustine in outrage and she cried out, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine's reply was, yes, but it is not I. Not the old Augustine, because God had changed his life. And Augustine kept on walking and left her completely out of his life. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, a very familiar verse. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. I've died with Christ. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave His self for me. Paul says, now I realize that I'm dead. My life is hidden with God. I'm in union with Christ. I live according to Christ who lives in me. I do not live any longer to to fulfill the lust of the flesh, but I live in order to please Christ. I live by faith in the Son of God who gave Himself for me. So you see, it's all about Christ. It's all about 
our boasting and our glorying in Him alone. We have received His perfect righteousness. We have received the Spirit of God so that we can walk before Him. We have received this grace by faith and power in order that we can obey Him, that we can please Him, that we no longer live according to the lusts of the flesh, but by the grace and power of God, we can live daily in the fruits of the Spirit and bring Him honor. Why? Not because of anything that we've done, but because of His marvelous grace. So we just boast and boast and praise Him because of what He's done. And brothers and sisters, sometimes we can be look at ourselves so much and be caught up so much in our failures and in our frailties and in our sins that we fail to look to Him. It is Christ who is our righteousness in Him alone. Look to Him. Day in and day out. Get your mind off yourself. Realize that it is because of what Christ has done for us that He's changed us. That's why the Scripture says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. It's because He's changed us. His power has changed us. So we continue looking unto Him who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Look again there in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15. We looked at the the former part of that. Let's read it again. Galatians 6.15 For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, Chinese, Japanese, or whatever. Okay? But what matters? A new creation. That's all that matters. And in Christ, through our faith in Him, we become a new creation. God has changed us. So therefore, we can say, along with the Apostle Paul, not only is the world crucified unto me, I see what's out there, I see what's in the world, but I am crucified to this world. In my heart, I've died to the things of this world because a sovereign, holy God has caused me to His praise and glory alone. This sovereign God has changed my heart and He has caused me to be a new creation. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, we looked at this verse Mention it again, that we no longer are to live the rest of our lives in sinful desires, but, but rather by shunning this world, we live for the will of God. Our identity now is no longer to live in the flesh, to live according to the whims of our old nature, to live according to the dictates of the old man. No! That old me is dead. I am crucified. And now my life is with Christ, hidden with God. So we as Christians, we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. So we walk by faith and we walk not by sight. I think of those great faithful that were mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And isn't it interesting that it says of those 
who persevered by faith. Get this, that the whole world, the whole world was not worthy of those who had served God faithfully. You see? How? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not upon your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall make your paths straight. Boasting? (laughs) I don't think we have anything to boast about. The Scripture says, Let not the wise man boast according to his wisdom. Not, let not the mighty man boast because of his strength. Let not the rich man boast because of his riches. But let him who boasts, let him who glories boast in this, that he understands me and that he knows me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your glorious grace. Grace that we knew nothing about. Grace that we do not deserve. I give You praise, Lord, that You have snatched us and delivered us from this evil present age. And pray, Father, that we will make it our goal to please You, that we will walk by faith, that we'll realize who we are in Christ, that we're new creatures in Christ, and that our desire should be for You, and for your kingdom. Father, I pray today if there's anyone here that does not know you, that has not received the forgiveness of their sins, that they would hear from you today, that they would see the glory that you have displayed towards sinners by providing salvation for us on the cross. That they would see their sins, that they are under your judgment, that they have no hope and they are without you in this world, that they would turn from sin and simply, like a child, believe the gospel and be saved. Father, continue to use this word throughout the rest of this week to remind us of who we are in Christ, to remind us, Lord, to boast great about so wonderful a salvation. And because of this, cause our hearts to yearn for You more and more each day, to bring You honor, to bring You glory. For it's in the holy name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings